in the Pew Bibles, and it is Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. Here's a word of God. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often beat, been chained hand and foot, but tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. This is the word of God for the people of God. All right. You may be seated. So this particular passage is probably one that you've heard before. Um, it's pretty well known that Jesus cast out a legion of demons and sent them into a pig, into a herd of pigs that subsequently drowned in the lake. But this particular topic may not be something that you hear a lot about or have heard a lot about. For some reason, in America, we tend to shy away from this topic. Other parts of the world, they talk about it a lot. They see it a lot. And they know it's true. But in America, for whatever reason, we tend to shy away from it. In fact, I, um, as many of you know, I wrote my second book um, called Four Hearts was about, well, if you've read it, you know that in chapter two, you meet two new characters, two angels who are warring with a demon. And a lot of people have told me it confused them at first because I went from a human character to angelic characters. But one person told me I stopped reading the book after chapter two. I said, why? He said, I don't like demons. I don't like to talk about them. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, oh, I know they exist. I know they're real. But I just like to leave them alone and not talk about them at all. I'm like, okay, that's fine. He goes, I really like your book, though. I said, you read two chapters. He goes, yeah, but I'm going to go back and read it. So he read it, and he told me after he read it, he said he enjoyed it, and he understood more now than he did before. I said to him, just, you know, you don't have to know everything about them. But don't just pretend they don't exist, because the more we know about them, the more freedom we can have from them. So he said he would take that into consideration. But the thing is, we don't like to talk about them, do we? But let me ask you this. Is there anybody in here that believes the COVID virus is not real? I don't see any hands up. Probably many of you. 
not most of you have probably experienced it. I've never had it, praise God. I hope I never do. But there was a time when it first came out, people were saying, it's not real. It's not real. Because they couldn't see it. They couldn't put their hands on it. They couldn't touch it until they experienced it. And they go, okay, it's real. Yeah, I felt pretty bad for a couple days. Or they know someone who had a bad experience with it. See, sometimes if we can't see something, if it's not tangible, if we can't put our hands on it, we can't measure it, we can't substantiate it, we say it's not real. But we know that's not true. It's not just COVID. There are all kinds of viruses. There's something irritating my eye right now. Probably a virus, probably an allergy. I can't see it, but I know it's there because I'm experiencing it. The same with evil spirits. We don't see them. Some people have. I've heard some pretty wild stories of people seeing things. But most, for the most part, we don't see them. But they're real. And they're all around us. And if we ignore them, it's exactly what they want. Because they don't want to be known by you so that they can influence you. Just like a virus, if a virus could think and be an intelligent being, it probably would not want to be known by you so you could take measures to prevent it from getting into your body. But they do. Now, this particular passage is one of the most popular ones. It's, it's a miracle that Jesus performed by casting out a legion of demons into 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of demons. Now, this is unusual because most of the time, you're not going to deal with or know anybody, maybe, who's been as bad as this man was. There's a question that happens a lot in theological circles is, can people be possessed by a demon? Was this man demon-possessed? Well, if we read the Greek word that was used for this man, it was demonized. It's more of an oppression rather than a possession. Now, this man may have been possessed, but to possess means to own, like you have no control. And it seems, though, that man didn't have much control. He was cutting himself. He was screaming at night. He was breaking chains. But all that aside, I don't want you to worry about demon possession, okay? I have personally never met a person who was possessed by a demon that I'm aware of, anyway. But I have seen much demonic oppression. I have seen it in a lot of people I've seen it in myself. Oppression is different than possession. I'm talking, we can oppress another person. I gave Chad an example last week. I said, if I just come up and I just start beating you in the arm for 24 hours straight, that's oppression. I'm oppressing him. I'm hurting him. Now, he might fight back, call the cops, do whatever. I don't know. But that's oppression. That's what I mean by oppression, like hurting someone, harming someone purposely, doing something to someone, getting them to change their behavior on purpose. That's what the demonic do to us. 
How do we prevent it? How do we find freedom from that? I can end this sermon right now by telling you one simple thing, but I'll go on and explain it a little more. How do you end it? How do you end anything negative in your life? Turn to God. Turn to God. If there is any area in your life where you haven't fully submitted to God, you're opening yourself up to some kind of demonic oppression. Again, not possession, just put that word right out of here, but you're opening yourself up to some kind of demonic oppression. What do I mean? Well, if you have not submitted your finances to God, you can be oppressed. You can be constantly worrying from paycheck to paycheck, and it has nothing to do with your job. It could have nothing to do with your job or how much money you make or or lack of money. You could have no job at all, and if you give that all to God, he will take care of you. I don't know how. I don't. It's going to be different for everybody, but he will do it. But if you try to hold on to that yourself and say, I've got to get a better job, I've got to do something, I've got to stop spending money, if you keep saying, I, 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 you might be opening yourself up to some demonic oppression. Because where God is in control, they cannot be. We read that this morning. Jesus walks into the, onto the scene and they immediately say, don't send us away. They knew what was coming. They knew what was coming. And they said, don't send us away. They knew who Jesus was. They knew his authority, his power. They believed. And when that man, when Jesus came in and, and took over control of that man's life, they had to leave. So when you give something in your life to God, you begin freedom. Notice I didn't say you find freedom. You begin freedom. Because there's a problem here. We like to take the wheel back, don't we? We always say, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. A great Carrie Underwood song. Jesus, take the wheel. Oh, hold on. I got this one. We do that all the time, don't we? We take control back because we like to have control of things. So when we give it to God, we start to have freedom. We we experience a little bit, and then we take it back. Then we give it back to God, and we take it back, and it keeps going on and on. But when we finally relinquish control completely to the Lord, you'll see oppression start to leave. Think about it. Have you grown in your Christian life at all? If you have, even just a little bit, it's because you've given your life to God. And as you give more to God, the more you grow closer to him, the less you see these influences in your life. Now, they can become so incredibly strong strongholds in the Bible. And that can be habitual sin. It can be anything habitual, an addiction. It can be all kinds of things. And I'm not just talking about drug or alcohol addictions or gambling. It could be addicted. You could be addicted to reading a certain magazine, for example. I don't know. It could be anything. Also, what we find in this is when people are oppressed by demons, they sometimes lose their identity. They don't know who they are. I don't care if a man says, I was born a woman, or a woman says, I was born a man. They can say that because they've lost their identity. But the fact is, 
there's male and female, and we can't change that. But because they, for whatever reason, and it could be many different reasons, they've lost touch with who they are, when they do, the demons move in and say, hey, you're really a woman. Start acting like it. And they constantly bombard them until they believe it. And we know this can happen to humans. Look at Nazi Germany. Constant bombardment when they were, they were in a time of need, a great economic struggle in Germany. And Hitler comes in and he just starts throwing his propaganda at them. And all of a sudden they're following him. And they're doing everything he says. That's the way the demonic work. They feed you propaganda. How do we fight it? Right here. This is one way. This is the truth for us. This is what teaches us. This is what we need to understand. I wanted to read a verse for you, if I can find it again. Or what person is there among you who, when his son asked for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus speaking to Pharisees there, and he's basically saying, God's not going to give you something bad. So if you're worried, I don't want to do something because I'm afraid of what I might get in return. God's not going to give you something bad. If you feel like I need to pray for a specific thing or pray for a change in my life, but you're afraid that it might undo something that you really enjoy, God's not going to give you something bad. Part of the problem is that in our minds, we think that if we become Christians, we have to change everything about our lives. You can still live your life, and God will change you when he wants to, how he wants to, and what's best for you. And you're not going to immediately change overnight and lose all your friends, but he may eventually lead you to make some changes that you may not want to make today. But when you do make those changes, you're going to want to make them and it's not because God forced you to. He's going to show you the greater way. But when we just say, no, I'm not going to do it, Lord. I can't make that change. The enemy says, okay, I'll make some changes for you. And they move in and start oppressing. So to be free from anything evil, give your life to God fully. Now, as I said, don't take that as, I've got to change immediately right today. It took me 53 years to get to where I am right now, and it's going to take me another 53 to get to where I want to be, and even beyond that. I don't think I'll be alive in 53 years, but who knows? Maybe I will. I'll probably still be preaching here. <laughs> Can you see me? I'm walking with a cane. And <laughs> have no hair. But anyway... What I'm saying is, let God lead and guide you in what you need to change. Don't try to force it. Trust me, from experience, 
I saw changes I needed to make in my life, and I went out the next day and tried to change. And guess what? Fell on my face. But when I said, God, I can't do this, he went, okay, yeah, you're right, you can't. Now let me show you how we're going to change it. And then, over the years, your thoughts come to mind. Oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. Or maybe that was the wrong thing to say. Just subtle, little changes in my life over time. And that's what he does with all of us. But while he's doing that, we still got that influence coming from the other side. That's okay. In time, you learn to recognize and replace it. Recognize it and replace it. And that's God leading you in that too. So whatever your issue is in life, you got some kind of immoral sin, God can handle that. You got some kind of difficulty with a relationship, God can handle that. You got some kind of difficulty with finances, your job, God can handle that. You got something that just irritates you and just offends you, God can handle that too, if you give it to him. But if you just sit there and say, God, this offends me, you know, God is not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. We all have a choice. And I can tell God all day, I'm offended by this person. I'm offended by this person. Until I say, God, help me understand that person. Help me to not be offended. If I say things like that, inviting him in, until I do that, God will listen, but he's not going to act. We have to want him in. We have to invite him in. We have to want him to help us because he won't force himself upon us. Now, the other side, oh, they'll force themselves on you. Oh, he offends you? Okay, I'm going to make that person offend you even more. You turn to God. So whatever it is, give it to God and let him help you. Anything. And I guarantee you that you can't come to me and say, hey, what about this? Because I'll tell you, if I can't find it in the Bible, I'm going to ask God, and he'll show me where it is in the Bible, and then I'll give that to you. Or if I don't know what to say, I'm going to ask God, and he's going to tell me, I'm going to say, here, do this. Because God wants you to not be oppressed. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be free from all the things that bind us. And he doesn't want you to have control. He doesn't want you to have control. Don't fool yourself into believing that you have control. Because you don't. That's a tactic of the enemy. Oh, you got control? Sure, yeah, go ahead. You got control of your life. And they're right there with you, influencing you changing you, guiding you. But when you say to God, lead me and guide me, you know what God's going to do? He's not going to take away your control, but he's going to help you control what you're controlling. And it's going to be in a good way. He won't control you. I've tried that. I said to God, take control of my life. And I wait around like, where is he? He's not going to take control. He will guide you in controlling the things around you, and only for good. He's not going to help you to control other people. He's not going to help you to control a situation. He's going to help you control how you feel 
about that situation, how you feel about that person. Because he's a master chess player. If he makes a change in me, it might affect all of you. And he doesn't want to negatively affect any of you, not even one of you. If a change in me would affect even one of you, he's going to make sure that I get changed, but you're not affected. Do you know what I mean? Whereas the enemy, they're like, I don't care about these people. Affect them all. In fact, we've been working on them for years. Let's affect them all through you, Phil. God won't let that happen if I turn to him and say, don't let it happen. And trust me, I do. When I pray for all of you, when I pray for our church, when I pray for my life, ask God to help me to help all of you. So find that freedom by turning to God. We can do this. As Pastor Ian always said, we get to do this. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible freedom. And Lord, we pray today that as we walk out through these doors, that we will leave with more freedom than what we came in with. And then when we live our lives this week, that we will find more freedom than what we had last week. And we pray that each and every day that we turn to you, God, that you will show us what freedom looks like. And on those days when we forget or we get pulled away or we listen to a different voice, be there, Father, to bring us back. Your Holy Spirit lives within us. Teach us to use it, our authority, your love. Teach us to use all that you've given us so that we can truly experience freedom in this life. We ask this of you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.